Welcome to the weekly Dharma Talk podcast from the Columbus Karma Teksam Choling Buddhist Meditation Center. This week's Dharma Talk is entitled A Teaching on Interdependence and Emptiness by Lama Tom Broadwater. Thirty years ago, Kempo Karta Rinpoche gave a talk. In this talk, he spoke of the twelve links of interdependent origination. He explained these links in terms we can understand. His words point us to a greater understanding of the Buddhist view. We will look at Rinpoche's teaching with the desire to gain a greater understanding. If you like our Dharma Talk series, please consider donating to Columbus Karma Texum Choling at columbusktc.org. Enjoy the podcast. So good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you all here. Beautiful day. Um, I have to tell you, I begin by telling you I'm a little tired. Yesterday, uh, a group of us <laughs> uh, got, uh, came here and uh, unloaded, like probably built two tons of, <laughs> of statues, uh, which are downstairs uh, in the uh, commons room. Um, there are statues of uh, Vajradhara, Tara, and Chinrezig. <clears throat> and hopefully in the next few days we'll be able to open them up and see them. Um, it will be a time before they actually come into the shrine room because there are a number of things we have to do to prepare the statues to be here. Basically we put uh, various sacred substances within them to concentra- uh, consecrate them. So it'll be a while before they come up, but we, uh, we spent most of yesterday afternoon trying to maneuver them <laughs> through the hallways. And uh, we made a few scratches and bumps, but nothing major, hopefully. So again, we'll be able to see them shortly. Um, so again, welcome to all of you here. I'm glad to see you. What we're going to talk today about is what the pictures that I've handed out to you. You're welcome to keep them if you like uh, and take them home with you. It is the wheel of life. It's an explanation of our deluded existence here in samsara. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we even get started, uh, let's just take a moment um, to think about our motivation. Why are we here? What What would we like to accomplish by being here? The things I would bring to your mind would be to have an open heart a heart that's open to experience, to reality, to the truth, a mind that's loving, 
equally for all beings. And a heart that's grateful. My goodness, we got up this morning. We're alive. <laughs> There's something to be said about that, right? So we can, with gratitude, be here this morning. We say a little prayer and uh, sort of a set our direction as Buddhists. It's basically our recognition of the Buddha's ability to teach, that his teachings are important, and that those who follow those teachings and the Buddha are revered uh, in our lives. So uh, it's a prayer of refuge. We're taking refuge in the Buddha. So you will find that prayer on these little laminated sheets. And we'll say this three times. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment by the merit of generosity and other good deeds May I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. In the Buddha, the Dharma, and the assembly most excellent, I take refuge until I reach enlightenment. By the merit of generosity and other good deeds, may I achieve enlightenment for the sake of all beings. So we've come in to away from our busy lives for just a moment into this place. And it might be good before we even get started to sort of relax. One of the most important aspects to meditating is to relax. There's all kinds of other techniques we could talk about, but basically the most important thing in meditation is to relax, to drop our concerns that we have, and they're legitimate concerns, but for this moment, just dropping them. And in that, dropping them to simply rest in your own state of mind. So let's just do this for a moment or two before we begin the talk. Relax. Allow yourself to relax for a moment.
Not too relaxed. You don't want to fall asleep, but relaxed. Thank you. <clears throat> so when I was preparing this talk, I had this really uh, big title, Dependent Origination and Emptiness. And obviously it did not scare you away. <laughs> so I was thinking about this for a long time and there's two books that I can recommend to you um, that can be helpful on those two subjects. One's a book, uh, it's a very small book, called A Teaching on Interdependence and Emptiness by Kimball Carter Rinpoche. It's down in the library. And the second one is The Twelve Links of Interdependent Origination. That too is in the library. So if you want to get uh, deeper into the subject, those are two books for you. So I read these over and over. For the, I, I give a talk once a month. So for about a month, I've been reading these over and trying to, you know, part of uh, the process is to think these things over and meditate on them and so forth. So the, for the past month, I've been doing that. And I was yesterday still stuck on how best to present this to you so it'll make some sense and so it doesn't... Uh, um, overwhelm you. So when I was talking to Lama Kathy, she said, well, it's important that when you're giving any talk that you give people a doorway, a way to enter any kind of teaching. And so she said, maybe this is a good doorway, which is a very small little book. It's like three pages. And so uh, after reading these two big books, you know, complicated books, she gave me the small doorway. And so that's what I'm going to teach from today, a small doorway into dependent origination and emptiness. And uh, depending upon what happens here today, I may give a second talk later that goes deeper into the subject that's here. So what the doorway is, is what I handed out to you, which is called the wheel of life or the wheel of existence. And during this entire talk, I'm going to be making reference to it. So uh, you can be looking at it as I'm talking about it. So you'll see in the very top, by the way, what this is all about is a teaching on how we experience uh, delusion within our world. Conventionally, how we experience uh, the world. This kind of, uh, it's like a tanka actually, would be hung on the uh, walls of the monasteries in Tibet to help people understand the more difficult teachings of uh, dependent origination and emptiness. So, at the very top, you see this really uh, fierce-looking creature, and he's, he's the lord of death and of time. Uh, he's called Yama, 
and he looks really fierce, but he's actually a principle of wisdom. He's actually sometimes portrayed as the protector of Dharma. So you can be fierce looking, even sort of ugly looking, <laughs> and be a, 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 a principle of wisdom. And he's basically holding uh, samsara together there. He's basically the ruler over deluded uh, existence, experience of samsara. To begin this conversation, and I would hope that we'll have some time for a discussion later, one of the most important things I want you to remember is this, that the Buddha taught that our existence is neither the creation of some external power like God, nor is it simply a random occurrence. So it's not some external force, but it's not chaos either. And it's rather, according to Buddhist teaching, it is the result of an interdependence. Things arise as a result of causes and conditions. And our deluded existence is the result of, is caused by our ignorance. So if, if you can take that away from this teaching, that would be great to recognize that the Buddha is not talking about gods, nor is he talking about chaos when he's talking about our, the world that we experience. It's rather based upon causes and conditions. So again, we're talking about the wheel of life or existence. And you might say it's showing the psychological states of conditional experience. Samsara, which is this whole picture here, is a cycle of becoming. And it's illustrated by the image of the wheel. And the wheel describes the confused experience of sentient beings, the experience of happiness and suffering. And these are based upon universal causes. The idea that it's circular in nature, it means that there's no linear progression towards something predestined. You know, it's, it's going round and round and round. Samsara goes round and round and round. It's circular. There's no predetermined, uh, excuse me, predestined uh, destination. The other point that we would make is that it is our ignorance and our confusion that prevent us from recognizing the conditions 
that bring happiness and those that bring suffering. And so as a result, we mostly cause suffering. But the Buddha taught that, there, um, that this circle of suffering is based upon ignorance, which can be dispelled through awakening to the real understanding of what the nature of reality is. So you see in, in the upper right-hand corner, Buddha pointing to the moon, right? Can you see that? The moon here represents freedom and the freedom of enlightenment. In ancient India, the moon represented something cool, refreshing, and so in this case, it's enlightenment. And you'll notice that the Buddha's outside this samsaric wheel. So for us, it may seem that suffering of samsara is going to go on forever, and it's without end. But the Buddha is pointing to the moon, telling us that there is a way out. Again, I want to say that what's depicted in the wheel is that nothing we experience comes without specific causes and conditions. Everything, everything is subject to change. That's a hard thing to grasp. Everything is subject to change. Nothing is permanent, nothing. And the Buddha taught a path that relatively establishes the causes and the conditions for happiness and ultimately leads to the elimination of ignorance and the assumptions that bring suffering and confusion, the assumptions that we make about things that causes our confusion and our suffering. And the chief assumption we make, and we may have made this from beginningless time, is that we're solid, real, substantial, and that everything out here is solid, real, and substantial. And that is the beginning of our suffering. So let's get into the particulars of this wheel. If you look in the very center, you'll see the three poisons, and they're represented by the pig, the snake, and the, uh, that's supposed to be a rooster. Uh, by the way, every wheel of existence looks slightly different. Uh, so don't, don't feel that because if you see this and you see some other, by the way, this one doesn't show it exactly as this. So there are going to be variations. That's okay. But, it, but in any case, the three poisons in this wheel is, are represented by the pig, uh, which is ignorance, the snake, which is aversion, and, and the uh, rooster, which represents uh, uh, attraction or attachment.
and uh, uh, the pig there is vomiting out the snake and the rooster, indicating that from ignorance, the other two arise. All actions within samsara begin here in ignorance, attachment, and aversion. All our actions are colored by those three poisons. And that's what's, that's what's uh, depicted there. The next little circle, concentric circle, is one's white and one's dark. And that represents the fact that uh, you'll see people ascending, and then that's on the right, excuse me, on the left, and on the right, they're descending. When they're ascending, what that means is deeds of kindness, compassion, love, lead us into the higher realms, which are represented in the upper section of the wheel. And actions that are derived from hatred, anger, and so forth, result in our going into the lower realms. So it's like that. So ethical actions bring us towards greater freedom and uh, unethical actions lead us to, to unhappiness. And this is why in Buddhism, there's a great deal of emphasis upon accumulating good actions. That's really important to the point that no small deed of kindness can be overlooked. It's very important because they lead either to greater freedom or to greater unhappiness. Now we'll go to the next circle. That's the six realms. Now, how do you want to approach this depends on your way of seeing things. It's, I don't think it's helpful to see them in sort of concrete terms, but it's helpful, I think, to see them in terms of psychological states that wind us up into a, a mode of existence. That's how I'd like to, uh, like to teach it today. It's more of a psychological aspect. So on the very top, you see the gods. They look pretty, uh, pretty content there. They're absorbed in concentration, in, in contemplation. Someone's playing a stringed instrument. Some folks are surrounded by attendants. And what this symbolizes is, you know, this is sort of an environment of paradise. And it's achieved by good deeds. And they're enjoying all kinds of sensual pleasures. Here's the problem, though. These gods think this is going to last forever. <laughs> and so when it starts to end, when the karma that created this, this happy state starts exhausting, 
they start recognizing, oh my gosh, this is going to end. This happy state that I've been in is going to end. And they experience excruciating pain in anticipating going down into lower realms. You can think about that in terms of how when you yourself uh, are in some sort of state where things are really happy, you're at the beach <laughs> for a vacation, and that last couple of hours or days, you're saying, oh, I'm going to have to go back. <laughs> That's the suffering in samsara. So here are these folks, these beings in the state of almost bliss, but even they are going to suffer. This is the realm of the shining ones. So here's the deal here. Here's the lesson you might say. Eternity is an illusion. All things pass. And they say that the psychological cause of this state is the confusion of self-absorption, being so absorbed in ourselves, in our own pride. You ever felt, you know, like you're on top of the world, the world owes you living or whatever, you know, things are really going swell. And you think that'll never end, and then you recognize that it will. And it is this very self-absorption, this pride, that is the cause of this state. It's the confusion of, of self-absorption, self-satisfied pride. So let's go to the next one, and we'll go clockwise. The next state is what's called the state of the demigods. And they're also called the joyless ones. So the image here is um, there's a fellow down there in the <clears throat> lower corner. He's an Asura. And he's sitting on his throne in front of his palace. Um, and he's receiving a, a delegation of soldiers. <clears throat> and you'll notice there's a tree growing up out of this realm. It's a wish-fulfilling tree. And there's all kinds of beautiful fruit, but it's not in the realm of the demigods. It's going up into the realm of the gods. What's that mean? That means here they, they, they have this tree with all this beautiful stuff, and they don't have access to it. And so they're competitive. They're fighting the gods above, wanting the fruit that began in their realm. So this is a psychological state of competition. Do we not experience that in our own lives? The, the torment of competition, the torment of seeing somebody else having something we want and can't get. 
It's ambition that's never satisfied. It's a resentment that prevents us from being happy. It's about war and it's about misery. It's about the frustration we feel when somebody else is happy. So this, this realm is characterized by jealousy and comparing yourself to somebody else. We have these states within our own lives, right? <laughs> Once in a while, and it doesn't feel good. <clears throat> the next realm is the realm of the animals. And they are called the ignorant ones. Uh, basically, they live in fear, oppression, fearing uh, someone uh, being, uh, being preyed upon. Basically, they're only thinking about satisfying whatever need they have, whatever need, what next need they have. I mean, we love animals, but they're they have some intelligence, but they are very clouded in their experience. I often tell the story about my dog, Lucy. I take her out for walks, and all she does is sniff the ground, and I'm saying, look at the beautiful sky, and her nurse nose is right at the ground. Very limited in perspective. So they suffer not only from the fact that they're being preyed upon, or their potential uh, predators out there, but their vision, their understanding is very limited. We can love them nonetheless. So this, this animal kingdom represents the principle of ignorance, the ignorance we have in our own lives. It's the ignorance of continuing in a set and predictable way even when that set and predictable way is not producing happiness for us. The basic problem here is that they follow their own senses and desires and their cravings, and they lack any perspective. The next one here, I have in a little different order in my notes here, that's okay. It's the hell realms. That's at the very bottom. And you see, again, Yama, the Lord of Death, and he sort of presides over this world. And in this world, all the inhabitants are being tortured. And all this is the result of anger and hatred. And basically, this tortured existence continues until the karma that produced this state is exhausted. And the psychology of hell is that intense hatred and paranoia produce great suffering. 
any of us who's ever experienced anger and hatred don't like that feeling. It feels awful. We suffer, actually. And it's that same kind of suffering that exists in the hell realms being depicted here. The next level is, and basically they are, as you would imagine, these beings are called the angry ones. Again, you might dismiss this as um, Tibetan myths. But if you think about your own situation and your own mind, you see how this can be for real. That our anger produces a hellish existence. And that if that state of anger predominates, we, we live in hell. So it's like that. So I think it's, it's not helpful to dismiss this as simple uh, cartoon, <laughs> a Tibetan cartoon. There's a reality behind what's being depicted here. And if we think about it strongly, we can see that reality. The next one is called, uh, and it's going ascending from uh, the hell realm, is the realm of uh, the hungry ghosts. And they're sort of human-like creatures, but they have really bloated bellies and real thin arms and necks. And they, as you can see, they live in a really barren landscape. It's said that these folks go for long periods of time without finding nourishment, and they mistreat each other in really horrible ways. They're also called pretas, and they are driven by an insatiable greed and hunger and thirst that is never satisfied. It's an existence of miserliness. And these pretas, even in the state of plenty, experience misery. I don't know if you've felt this or not, but sometimes, even when things are really going well, if your internal state is one of closed-mindedness, of, you know, smallness, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You know, you can go up to somebody and say, what a beautiful day. Yeah, well. <laughs> because of their internal state. So there's a reality to this. So again, the psychological state that, is, that produces this mode of existence is our miserliness. Now we go one step further up to the, uh, to the human realm. And this is the realm of possibilities, of human possibility. Why is that? 
Well, this is one of the realms, the human realm, where people can actually use their intelligence. And as we said, part of the problem is our um, misconceptions about what reality is all about. And humans, because they are in a fortunate circumstance, can actually get out of the realm of, of suffering. We have that potential. So while our ignorance, we've all have ignorance, and while we've had it from beginningless time, and, and in that respect, it has no beginning, but because we have been born in this world where we have the intelligent and fortunate circumstances, we could actually get out of it. However, however, our world is also conditioned by our passions and our ignorance and our afflictive emotions. So we have to be able to figure a way out of it. And the Buddhist path is the way out of it. So normally, so normally, humans are characterized by being confused, ruled by passion, and by destructive emotions. But again, I want to go back. We live in a fortunate realm because we can pursue the truth, the path of awakening. And the nice thing about this thing is that we live in an era in which the Buddha taught. And there are actual people that have realized that truth that we can follow. So that's the realms of samsara. I'm going to look and see what time it is. Oh, we got plenty of time. So the outer realm, the outer wheel, is what's called the uh, 12 links of dependent origination. It basically describes how we come to progress, particularly within the human realm. It also helps us to understand that how we, how we develop delusion. And also, it will help us to understand how to dissolve that delusion. So let's begin. The first, the very first uh, link is, you see the blind person with a stick at the very top? That represents ignorance. 
so, uh, he's so, uh, this, this person sort of blundering through. And that's, that is representing our ignorance. And what is our ignorance? Our ignorance is that we don't recognize things as they truly are. We take this self to be solid, real, substantial, and we take outer reality to be the same, solid, real, and substantial. And it is on this mistaken belief that all the other links arise. So from our ignorance, which has been from beginningless time, samsara arises. The next one is the potter. You see, the, see that? That's the next link. And he's shaping objects. And basically, what is being shaped there is our thoughts about ourselves as concrete, real, and substantial, and the world being the same. So from our ignorance, we develop this concept. And that, that's what we mold. So we develop this sense of I, we mold that, you could say. The next one is the monkey. And that's, that develops from our, uh, from our uh, mental formations. Consciousness, how do I say this? This is basically what links us from our past life to our present life. And it's represented by the monkey. And basically our consciousness is wandering all about, doing all kinds of crazy things, just like a monkey swinging in a tree. It's that way. The next is called form or name. By the way, going back, those two previous steps those are formed in, in our previous life. That's what, this is, you might say, the baggage we bring in to, uh, to this life from a previous life. And now we're going to start talking about this life and consciousness. Now we're conscious. And the, the next step is name and form, and that's basically uh, you see two people in a boat and someone steering. And that's basically the idea of at uh, birth, the uh, embryo is both consciousness, form, and consciousness. Those two are there at birth. And then coming from that are the six senses. So the embryo develops the five senses, the sixth sense being mental consciousness. But so the senses develop there. But those senses have to come in contact, and that's the next one. So the, the, uh, the six senses are the next ones. They, they are the, uh, the, the house with the six windows. That's representing 
uh, our sense uh, faculties. And then our six senses have to have contact, and that's represented by the man and the woman caressing. So that's the senses making contact with the world. And that contact then develops feeling. We feel as a result of contact. So the feelings of pleasure, displeasure, and neutrality arise from that contact into a feeling. The next is you see a man drinking. And that's basically the idea of craving. So once we start feeling good and bad feelings, we're going to start craving. We want what's good and we want to avoid what's bad. So that's craving. This is what is our life is like. The next one is the monkey in the tree grabbing the fruit. See that? That, that represents grabbing. Kevin Carter-Rinpoche has a better word for grasping, I think. He calls it addiction. <laughs> you know, grasping is sort of like, you know, I grasp and, you know, I can let go. Addiction has the idea, yeah, I grasp, I let go, but I grasp again and again and again and again. So our human existence is like this. It's grabbing hold of things, maybe for a moment letting go, but that returns and we grasp again. We can't let go. It's hard to let go. So that, I like that, I like that picture of addiction as opposed to simple grasping. And then all of these lead to uh, what is called becoming. And you see a woman, uh, a pregnant woman, and that re represents the fullness of uh, a human being, an individual. It means we have fully come into existence. And then again, there is, in the last two links, is birth. And then finally, old age and death. And because we have developed through our karma various imprints, we will carry those into the next life in the form of ignorance, which starts the process all over again. So it's never ending. It's never ending, however, only if we were unable to recognize the true nature of reality. And the true nature of reality is not something solid, fixed, and substantial. What is Enlightenment, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know fully. 
but I know this much, that in enlightenment, appearances will continue because there's nothing wrong with appearances. Appearances are just appearances. What is wrong, if you want to put it that way, is the way we perceive them, the way we recognize them. We don't recognize them for what they are. And that once we can recognize and all these mental afflictions are absent, then we can see reality as it truly is, and that's freedom. So I'm, I'm not a, an advanced being that could explain to you precisely what enlightenment is like, but I can sure as heck tell you what <laughs> I'm sorry it's all about. Grasping afflictive emotions and whatnot. So, the Buddhist path as we know it is basically one of decreasing this self-fixation so we can begin to understand what truly is. So we have various practices available to us from the Buddha to help us to relax those fixations and to be able to actually see reality. There are practices in the Mahayana of Tonglen, of meditation. And ultimately, as we develop in our meditation uh, from shamatha, we go into Vipassana. In other words, in meditation, what we're doing is relaxing the mind, just relaxing the mind. And then when we're able to do that, and when we have gathered sufficient virtue, being able to look at the mind and actually see it for what it is, and what it is is Buddha nature. We can't, we can't see that now because of all the afflictive emotions that we've described in all those realms, in all those six realms. But there is a way out. There is a way to freedom. Lama Kathy has been doing some talks uh, uh, about uh, how we can experience, begin to experience that greater reality. And I invite you back for those, those talks um, related to that. I've exhausted my time. Um, thank you so much for your attention. Um, I, I do watch your reactions as I'm talking, and I can see no one yet has gone to sleep. <laughs> so, so that's good. Um, we have a few moments uh, for questions to clear up any kind of thoughts, confusion, or just comments. Uh, we have a few minutes here. Mama Tom, this is spectacular. 
I never knew as far as what all of this um, meant. And thank you very much for bringing this to us. I mean, I've been coming here for a long time, but I never knew what all the symbolism meant. And I'm so glad that you brought this up. Oh, good. Thank, thank you. you. Questions, comments? And by the way, there is no, no such thing as a bad question. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question, very small detail. But in, in the demigod section, in the what? In the demigod section here, there's a, a guy trying to chop down that tree. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? I'm not sure where you're pointing to. I'm okay. sorry. There's the six realms. Yes. The top one is the is the gods. The next one to the right is the demigods. Yes. And there's a guy at the base of the tree with an axe. Yes. What, what is he, why is he trying to chop down that tree? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but that, that, will, that, that does not uh, prohibit me from giving an opinion. <laughs> and my opinion is that if something I have that goes and benefits somebody else and it doesn't benefit me, be daggone, I'm going to cut it down. You ain't going to experience what I have. <laughs> it might be something like that. By the way, uh, in some of these uh, wheels of existence, in every realm, the Buddha appears. In this particular depiction, he's not there. And why they put Buddhas in each one of these six realms is that each one of these beings existing in these realms have Buddha nature. They still have the potential. It's just because they are in such bad circumstances and bad states of mind, they can't recognize their, their nature. But it's not, it's not depicted here, but I have seen in others where the Buddha is in each one of those realms. Well, this concludes our talk. Thank you again so much. I mean, you could be doing anything else today than coming here. And I hope that there's something you can take away from today. If I were to suggest some things for you to meditate, to think about, to contemplate in the coming week, one is how much of our misery is self-imposed. That's one. The second thing is to recognize in your own lives how impermanent things are. You know, you may get up in a wonderful mood and things are perfect, and the next moment it comes crashing down. One moment someone is treating you really nice and the next moment so keeping in mind the impermanence of life. Recognizing impermanence is one of the first steps to awakening.
to recognize things are not solid, real, and permanent. That's a good step in the right direction to wisdom. So let's end this with a dedication of merit. The idea of being here is that whatever we've gained from being here today, may it not only benefit ourselves, but everyone that we come in contact. And that's not unreasonable to expect. Just think of if you're in a bad mood or having a difficult day and someone comes along and brightens up your day, how that can be helpful. The same here is any wisdom, any knowledge, any thing that you've gained that's going to be helpful to another person, if you can somehow in some way depart that, impart that to another, you've done well. So we're, we're going to dedicate the merit of our being here not only for our own benefit, but for all that we come in contact with in the next week. So. It's on our little card here. It's called the Dedication of Merit. By this merit may all attain omniscience. May it defeat the enemy wrongdoing. From the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death, from the ocean of samsara, may I free all beings. The courageous Manjushri, who knows everything as it is, Samantha Bhadra, who also knows in the same way, and all the bodhisattvas, that I may follow in their path. I completely dedicate all this virtue. Uh, bless you. Have a great weekend. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us for this week's Dharma Talk. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. To learn more about the Columbus Karma Teksum Choling or to donate to support our Dharma Talk series, please visit our website at columbusktc.org. The opening and closing music for the podcast is Tibetan Flute Song by Tamding Arts at tamdingarts.com. Please join us again next week for another Dharma Talk.